Hi, I'm Charlie Stein. I'm a brand ambassador for Old Line Spirits in Baltimore, Maryland. Pour a dram, settle in. This is the Cask Chasers podcast. Well, hello, Cast Chasers. Uh, I'm here. Um, you know, we uh, we often often have people on the show whom I don't know. Maybe you don't know. Um, a lot of times you don't know. We'll see. Maybe you know this gentleman. But rarely do I get an opportunity to have a conversation with an actual friend and somebody I know personally in the industry and somebody who is a uh, absolute wealth of knowledge. Um, our conversations outside the podcast are always incredible. So I'm very much looking forward to this. So, um, yeah, you heard him. Settle in, because this is going to be a good one. Charlie, welcome to the show, buddy. Hi, Bobby. Great to be here. Great to have you, my friend. Great to have you. So you, you said it kind of in the intro. Um, you're, uh, you work out of Old Line, correct? Yes, I do. Yeah, great. A, Go on. We're a craft distillery in, in Baltimore. We've been open uh, since 2017. Um, still a pretty tiny space, but um, make a fantastic whiskey. And we have aged Caribbean rum that we bring up from the Dominican Republic. They think that I do a good job as a brand ambassador, helping them grow the brand. So I've been working for them since 2019, and I absolutely love it. Yeah, you do do a great job, and it's a phenomenal brand. Um, you know, it's it's one of those brands that I don't know. If, maybe we're calling it craft, but it's starting to leave the realm of craft and become something bigger. And I'm not detaching craft because it's a bad thing. Um, I'm thinking of it more as uh, size wise and and um, and. Um, popularity, I guess, because I'm hearing more and more people talk about it as we go. It's won some awards. It's won some very prestigious awards. And, you know, coming out of Baltimore and Maryland, it's 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 just a huge following, specifically in that area and outside. So um, I, I want to make sure if you haven't tried, listeners, anything from Old Line, you're doing yourself a disservice. Um Absolutely. Um, so, Charlie, how did how did you get into whiskey? Let's start there because you started in nineteen, but I don't think you started in whiskey in twenty nineteen. Maybe it maybe there was a little lineage there. No, the um, so I've, I'm sixty six years old. I've been drinking whiskey for a really long time, but uh, paying attention to it um, only began recently. Some friends and I would go away on a long weekend every year. We would go to a different part of the East Coast, sometimes up to Cooperstown, Pennsylvania, Virginia, different places. And we would visit all of the craft breweries and we would visit all of the local bottle shops to buy beer that we couldn't get here in Baltimore. One year, one of my friends, the guy who plans all these trips, my buddy Jim, he added Copper Fox Distillery over in the Blue Ridge Mountains in Sperryville to our tour. So that was the first time we had had whiskey as part of our trip. Um, we showed up at 11 o'clock in the morning. It's a, it's a funny story. They were not open. 
we hadn't made reservations for a tour, but we knocked on the door and they let us in. Rick Wasman, who founded Copper Fox, I'm sure you know him. Yep. Um, he came down, opened the door, gave the four of us a private tour of his distillery and allowed us to spend a lot of money in his gift shop. Allowed. Which, which, as you do. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, so after that, each year, uh, Jim would add more distilleries to these tours and fewer breweries because you got to balance that stuff out. And as a consequence, we do, when we do these anymore, it's mostly distilleries and one or two breweries. So there's a bunch of good distilleries down your way in the Williamsburg, Newport News area. We've been to Ironclad. We've been to Eight Shires. We've been to Tarnished Truth. We've been to Silverback. We've been to Virginia Distilling Company. Mm. We've been to Reservoir in, in Richmond. And that really uh, kind of got us interested in uh, bourbon and, uh, and other types of, of whiskeys. As a part of this, sort of at, the, at that time, uh, you know, Old Line had opened in 2017. Jim said, hey, there's this new distillery in Highland Town. Why don't you meet me over there for a tour? So he and I went and took a tour. It was the two of us, and the first tour was probably uh, Mark McLaughlin, one of the co-founders. Mm. We absolutely loved the, um, the whiskey. We absolutely loved the rum. And he told us, you know, it was pretty sparse at the time, but he started talking to us about some of the things they were planning to do. So we went back about six months later. I think six months later, Arch gave us the tour. Again, it was, it was just the two of us. Arch Watkins, the other co-founder. And um, so in six months' time, they had done all of the things that Mark had told us they were planning to do. Now, I was getting close to retirement for my job with the federal government. I was looking for something to keep myself occupied. And I started to think, you know, I like this product. I like these guys. They're executing a plan. Maybe I will convince them that I could, you know, work for them. So I, I, I started stalking them. My, my wife, Kathy, says we stalked them. Sure. We would show up at places. Yeah. We'd show up in places where they'd be doing uh, tastings. They'd be featuring their spirit. The, um, the, the most fun one was in Hamden, which is in, in West Baltimore. They were at a restaurant. Monument City Brewing, our good friends and neighbors right up the street from us were there featuring their beer. We were there with some uh, cocktails on the menu, and Mark and Arch were there pouring out samples for people. And as things were wrapping up, uh, the guy from Monument City asked me if I wanted a Monument City T-shirt. Now, I didn't have one. I said, sure, I'll take a free T-shirt. And then I think it was Mark who asked me if I wanted an old line T-shirt. And I looked him square in the eye and he said, no, you're going to give me one of those when I come to work for you. <laughs> I... I got an elbow in the ribs from Mrs. Stein. That's that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Yeah. Um, but shortly after that, I called him up and I said, well, I'm serious. I really want to come work for you guys as a brand ambassador. So we scheduled an interview. 
this is for the youngins in the group who are looking uh, for uh, interview tips from this old guy, right? So I, I showed up early, always do that. I had on a suit and tie. Mm. And I, I meet Mark for a distiller, yeah. So I meet Mark and Arch at the door, and Arch looks at me and says, you're wearing a suit and tie. And I said, this is an interview. And he said, yeah, for a distillery. I said, look, it's, it's an interview. You deserve a, a suit and tie. So we went in, sat down. We talked for a while. And, um, and I told him, I said, listen, uh, what I would like to do for you is help you grow the brand. And I would like to give you some time back. Because they're both relatively young compared to comparatively wrong. You'll say that. Uh, mm-hmm. um, and they both have young families. And I know that after working all day at the distillery, they'd rather go home and have dinner with their families rather than go out to a liquor store, set up a table, and pour out samples. They would rather spend their Saturdays with their families than spend their Saturdays um, off doing an event. I mean, as much as they love it, it's time or doing tours at their distillery. Again, as much as they love doing those tours, they'd rather have their Saturdays for spending time with their family. They'd rather have their after hours time, spending time with their family. I said, I'll do those things for you. I'll do tours. I'll do tastings. I'll do charity events. I will give you some time back to do whatever you want to do with it. Um, And they looked at me, like, gee, you're you're kind of an odd man, <laughs> but I'm retired. I've, I've got time on my hands. I love the product. I love the distillery, and I really love the opportunity to spend time in that environment with people who are coming in and they're eager to learn. So right. it's you know Charlie Stein show. No, uh, so I've luckily been able to come to some of your events, and they are the events at Old Line are incredible, um, and it's it, they vary from tastings to comedy shows. Um, I, the last one I attended was um, the uh, Ohana Project, which we can get into oh, a yeah. little bit later, which was which was brilliant. Um, that's also an episode for the listeners. Um, but what I appreciate about you and what you bring to the table, and I, I absolutely adore um, Arch and Mark and everything, and um, they have their own eclectic flavor personality, uh, which which I chime well with. But what I really appreciate about you is the knowledge and tenacity you bring to the spirits world. You, Although I would say your ambassadorship is, is somewhat new, um, you definitely bring this need and urge to learn more. And that's what I love about it. I love to learn. I love the history. I love to know where the brand's coming from and where the brand's going to go. And watching Old Line grow over the years has just been, it's been rewarding. Almost, I feel in a way like I work there. No one pays me. Um, oh, absolutely. But uh, yeah, but I, I, I'm, wear, I'm wearing the hat. I, I, I have the Glencairns. I have the whiskey, of course. And it really is, it's a bottle that I pull out whenever somebody comes over um, that may be new to whiskey or a whiskey aficionado in, and everything in between. It is the whiskey that I like to say, hey, if you haven't, you should. Um, it's a single malt, um, 
primarily, but there's other stuff. You've had some peated things. I've gotten to blend some things from there. I, uh, you know, I've, I've been part of a broken thief situation, um, which is a, that's a deep dive into another episode. I've, I've ransacked that whole distillery, um, um, welcome and unwelcome, I'm sure at times, but it's always a good time and always have a great time. And Charlie, you just, you really do bring that life that I think is important. And one of the reasons I wanted to chat with you is because, because of your knowledge, but, um, so we're happy you're there, but let's talk a little bit about, um, the history of, and not specifically of old line, but something that's near and dear to my heart. Um, I'm from Texas originally, but I'm a transplant to the Delaware, Maryland, Virginia area, 20 years now. So I guess I'm from here. The history of whiskey in this area, Maryland specifically, is overwhelming. And when we think whiskey, American whiskey, a lot of the listeners, we go right to Kentucky and we think, okay, well, that's the birthplace. That's where it all started. That's American whiskey. And there's some truth to that, of course, but really when I think American whiskey, I think the Maryland area, the Maryland, PA, Virginia, will throw Delaware in the mix because they're lonely, but that's where whiskey really got its roots. Am I wrong on that? No, you're, you're correct. There are, um, there are a lot of, a lot of histories about, uh, about American whiskeys that will acknowledge that uh, rye whiskey in particular was probably the first whiskey distilled in what is now the United States. Mm. And the, you know, kind of the history behind that was people think, well, why did they pick rye? They, they picked rye because it grew well in the, in Maryland and in Pennsylvania. A lot of the people who moved to Maryland and Western Pennsylvania had come from Germany there's a connection there with that grain back to Germany. Think rye bread, holy cow. And the farmers in the area would use rye as a cover crop. Mm. So they would plant corn or they might plant wheat or they might plant something else. But then for the winter cover crop to keep their fields from uh, eroding with the, uh, with the storms and the rain and everything, they would plant rye. They would then harvest it in uh, early spring. They would use, I, I, I tell folks this story when I, when I talk about any kind of grain, but particularly with rye. So you, you can take that and you can feed your animals. You can sell some of it. You can feed your family. But, you know, you're probably doing it in that order, but you will have some grain left over at the end and in order to keep that grain from spoiling or from being consumed by vermin, you have to do something with it. So you know this. Mm. You can take that grain and you can make it into beer and it'll last for a while. You can take that grain and make it into bread or crackers and it'll last for a while. You can take that grain and distill it into whiskey and it will last forever. There was also um, a need for something to use as uh, currency. And, you know, a lot of farmers, a lot of other people, tradespeople would use the barter system. Whiskey makes a, a great currency. And in Maryland and in Western PA, it was used as a form of currency. 
And then as uh, settlers moved further west into Kentucky, into Tennessee, into Ohio, they would grow primarily corn because corn grew in that environment. Mm. So they grew a bunch of corn and same thing. After you fed your animals, fed your family, you got to do something with that leftover corn. All the farmers would gather at some guy's farm. It was probably Bobby Bird's farm. He had the distillery. <laughs> They'd all bring their leftover corn. They'd run off a batch of whiskey. And then everybody would take home in proportion to, to what they brought. But it really did, from everything that I've read, it really did get its start in Maryland. And uh, rye whiskey is the sort of quintessential uh, whiskey for Maryland, Western PA, um, up into New York, um, because it grows here, and that's and we're we're very very proud of it. Uh, one of the early distilleries, craft distilleries in Baltimore, <clears throat> Baltimore Spirits Company, good friends of ours. They make rye whiskey, and they make rye whiskey because they want it to be the first distillery making rye whiskey in Maryland since, mm. you know, God knows how long, 30, 40, 50 years. Uh, Sagamore Spirits, uh, other, other good friends of ours, they also make a fantastic rye whiskey. And we have recently run off a couple of batches of rye whiskey using the mash from our friends at Monument City Brewing. So they make a 51 rye IPA, 51% rye, 49% malted barley. They <clears throat> brew it up, they hop it, they make a fantastic beer. They mashed in, uh, you know, a bunch of their mash, brought it to our distillery. We pitched in their yeast in, in our uh, uh, fermenters, and then we distilled it, put it in barrels, let it sit for two years. Straight rye whiskey has to be 51% rye, has to be at least two years old. We now have straight rye whiskey that we make in collaboration with Monument City. So that's that's kind of the fun, I mean, for me, interesting, fascinating things that are being done in the craft whiskey business. And I get to learn about it. I get to, I get to do research. That sounds odd, um, but I love looking up things. I love learning things. If a guest asks me a question and I don't know the answer, I go home that night and look it up. So if it comes up again, I'll be able to answer that question. So just the, um, all of the things associated with the business, with the product, I find it fascinating. It interests me, and I love telling stories. Yeah. That's, that's what this is all about. That's what I love, too. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny because I can relate to a lot of that. Um, I may or may not have also used whiskey as a currency, um, a barter system. Um, uh, if the feds get a hold of this, they got me. You got me, boys. Um but I also do a lot of research, is what I call it. Um, yep. Yeah, by pouring a dram or two. And when people yeah. see my collection, they they go, is there an issue here? And I say, no, it's all research purposes only. Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and I've done a lot of research at Old Line. So that's, uh, that's, uh, that's also something fun. Um, yeah, that whole area. So, so for those that don't know East Coast, but the Baltimore area specifically, um, it's kind of a... It, and we won't go too deep into the history. There's a lot of it there. 
but as far as bartering and shipping and you know with the waterways trains and and just and just being a hub for modern society it, it's a really bustling area and it makes sense and then what's cool about maryland is and really a lot of the area you'll have this major city you know baltimore you have washington philly not too far away and then a few miles out it's just farmland so it's really an area where there's a co-op between big business and you know local farm that has evolved this whole area and that that out that that surpasses whiskey alone that goes into many many other categories but this conversation is specifically about whiskey you said something that I absolutely love and I adore about this industry. And I've, I've worked in other industries. I, I obviously, you know, patron other industries and know a little bit about, you know, my background is in sales. So I've dealt with a lot of industries. There's a lot of um, competition. And sometimes in other business, there's a lot of competition that may not be, maybe not be healthy or maybe that's the wrong term. It may not be as, as um, friendly. You know what I mean? Right. I don't get I don't get that from this industry. You you, you hit no. the nail on the head with, you know, partnering with and friends of. I don't know of too many I don't I don't know that I've ever met one distiller, distillery, brand ambassador, owner or what have you that doesn't partake in someone else's brand and goes that next step and partners to create something. Beer, gin, um, whiskey, rum, we talked about at the very beginning. That that's really interesting to me. And I, I love explaining that to people that don't know the, there's a, there is a true and don't get me wrong. And Charlie, I mean, you're a brand ambassador for a reason. There is competition, but it's harmonious. Is that, is that the right, am I saying that the right way? Oh, absolutely. Certainly with, uh, the, um, the other distilleries that are local here to Maryland that are here in Baltimore, it's very, very harmonious. Um, one thing that some people might not know about Old Line, we wouldn't be making as much whiskey as we do if it were not for a harmonious partnership that we have with a pretty large distillery out in Columbus, Ohio. Mm. So as, as Mark and Arch tell the story, they were driving from uh, the Pacific Northwest where they had purchased Golden Distilling, our forebears, and they were bringing back the equipment from that distillery to set it up here in Baltimore. As they were driving across country, they stopped at Middle West Spirits in Columbus, Ohio. Now, Middle West Spirits is a much, much bigger distillery than we are. And they allowed us, and they do continue to allow us a couple times a year to go out to their distillery, take our grain, more specifically, take our yeast and run off a batch of whiskey on their still, barrel it up, and ship it back to Baltimore. Now, the, um, the reason I pointed out the, the yeast aspect, as you know, maybe some of your uh, listeners know, most, uh, we'll call them contract, most contract distillers will say, hey, listen, Here's a menu of mash bills that we have. <clears throat> you're going to use our grain. You're going to use our yeast. You can buy from this mash bill and you can bottle it up and you can sell it and put your label on it. Uh, but they don't want anybody else's yeast in their stillhouse for fear of cross-contamination. 
Now, the guys at Middle West, whatever they're doing, they're comfortable allowing us to bring our particular two strains of yeast into their still house, and they're not worried that it's going to contaminate anything else that they're making there. As important as grain to the character, the flavor um, of a whiskey, as important as the barrels, is the yeast, the strains of yeast that you use. Different yeast with different grain will give you a different character. Our yeast is the same yeast that uh, Bob and Jim used when they founded Golden Distilling uh, back in Washington State. And we use that yeast for a reason. It's part of our heritage. It created a gold medal winning mm. whiskey in this tiny distillery in Washington State. We're not going to mess with that. But the collaboration that we have with Middle West allows us to produce a lot more than we could produce on our 300 gallon still in Baltimore. And that's helped us an, an awful lot. We've also done some events at Old Line where we collaborate with uh, Sagamore Spirits, we collaborate with Baltimore Spirits Company, we collaborate with McClintock Distilling uh, out in Frederick. They make a fantastic bourbon. So we'll do ticketed events that are uh, seminars on whiskey. And uh, Brian from Sagamore will come in and he'll talk about rye. And I learned from him. Mm. And Braden from McClintock will come in and talk about bourbon. And I learned from him. And then Margaret Arch talk about American single malt whiskey. And I learn and I learn from talking to the guests that are there and we get to tell a bunch of stories. So it's it's great fun. We would not be who we are without the collaborative spirit that exists in the craft spirits business. And, and I'll, uh, that's that's all across the craft spirits business. It, it, another story. So talk about ice cream. Um, my best friend's uh, nephew uh, opened a creamery out in Deep Creek Lake, Lake out in Western Maryland. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to make ice cream. And he asked around about how to make ice cream. And he found out that everybody in the craft ice cream business was helpful. They didn't see him as competition. They saw him as another guy who's going to make fantastic ice cream. And Billy has built this business because a lot of guys who know how to make ice cream helped him do it. I love it's that. the same way in the in the whiskey business. I love that. That makes me like ice cream a little bit more. Um, there you go. If I if I wasn't if I wasn't into it enough at the beginning, and my hope is, and maybe it's already happened, some type of whiskey ice cream crossover. Fingers crossed. Um, we'll see down the road. So <laughs> you, you switch gears a little bit. You touched on it. Um, well, you brought it up. Um, the the single malt. You know, Old Line has. It, it, if I'm looking at the spearhead of the, of the, of the, um, it's part of the spearhead of the single malt movement that's happened. Well, I was going to say happening, but it's happened in the U S and, and has continued to grow. There's some history in itself you're a part of, and that is the new single malt revolution. Um, I, I say revolution because single malt has kind of always existed in America because, you know, yep. you know, um, but being a category now, um, and I don't know how I feel about categories. I mean, they're interesting. They're fun. They help. They probably are more bureaucratic than anything, in my opinion. But 
it is a conversation now and it is something newer and more available that people can reach out to. I am a huge fan of single malts. I, my love of whiskey personally started with Scotch whiskey. Um, and it was, it was probably old line. I mean, I've had some bourbons and whatnot that I really enjoy, but it was old line that really got me sucked into the American, uh, new age way of making spirits, American, American spirits, specifically single malt. Um, can we talk a little bit about, you know, what that looked like, you know, creating something again, I don't want to use the word new cause it's not new. I don't want to confuse anybody, but new to the realm of category or new to the realm of availability and how important single malt and, and maybe even tell, tell the listeners, cause there are listeners that don't know what does it mean to be a single malt versus a bourbon, a rye or anything like that. Um, and really, sure. yeah. <clears throat> So, so it's only it's only recently that um, American single malt whiskey has gotten its uh, standards of identity uh, approved. Um, single malt whiskey means that it is a single grain produced in a single distillery. And, and oddly, the word single applies more to the single distillery than it does to the single grain. Ours is 100% malted barley. Uh, the same kind of grain that's used for scotch or Irish whiskeys, the same kind of grain that's used for Indian single malts and Taiwanese single malts. There's a, there's a ton of single malt whiskey out there. Um, but American single malt has to be made with one grain and in one distillery. It has to be aged in a wooden vessel. Now, the standards of identity do not say new, charred, American oak, as they do for bourbon. It just says a wooden vessel. So we can make single malt whiskey and we can mature it in used barrels. We can mature it in new barrels. It's still going to be uh, a single malt whiskey. American rye whiskey has to go into a new barrel as well, I believe. So bourbon and rye, they have to go into new charred barrels. We can use whatever barrels we feel like using for old line American single malt, we use primarily new charred American white oak barrels, same barrels that are used for bourbon, same barrels that are used for rye. But we do have a batch sitting in the warehouse right now that we ran off the still. We took the new make, so white whiskey, right off the still and put it into I think this is sitting in used uh, sherry casks. Mm. Might be, might be poured. We might have, we might have one of each. Now this whiskey is not going to be ready to be bottled for another eight years, probably. And you know, I'm dying. I hope I, I hope I live that long. But that is more the traditional way of making a single malt whiskey. The same way they do it with scotch. The same way they do it with Irish whiskey taking new make, putting it into a used barrel, letting it sit, letting it pull in whatever was left over in that barrel, but primarily letting it spend time in the wood, interacting with the wood, interacting with the oxygen in the environment, the air, and just getting uh, better and better and better. American single malt is new-ish, I don't know what the what the first ones were. Uh, Balcones makes a terrific one. Westward, Westland, 
um, uh, Samish Bay, which is mm. Golden Samish Bay, which is the distillery we bought, they were making single malt whiskey back in the late 1990s, early 2000s. So it is a it is a relatively new category. It's 100% malted barley. That's the thing, and I think that as a category, its growth has benefited from the growth growth in craft brewing. Mm. Because if you're going to have a bunch of craft brewers around, you have to have somebody who's making the malt that the brewers are going to use. So there's a ton of new malt houses out there that are malting barley so that craft brewers can make beer. Well, all of that malted barley is still the same product that we use as the basis for American single malt whiskey. So I think that intersection, we'll call it that, that intersection of craft brewing malted barley and the desire to make some craft whiskeys has contributed greatly to the establishment and the growth of American single malt whiskey as a defined category. Yeah, that's I love holy that. cow. <laughs> no, I love that. I love that. Um, uh, and I've had some interesting single malts based on the grain, um, chocolate malt, things like that, that mm-hmm. are very, you know, so there's a lot to do with it. There's a lot to play with. And I, and I think we're going to get a lot of cool stuff and, you know, peated American single peated single malts and things like that are coming out. You brought up Balconis. That might have been one of the very early single malts I had. Um I love Balconis. I'm from I'm from Waco originally. So um well I was a kid in Waco so I had no idea. I don't even think they existed back then. But um I will tell you this and this isn't lip service. I'm dead serious and I I'll, I'll, I'll hint to my wife. I'll be 50 in 8 years. So I think I found my 50-year-old special bottle, and it, and it will hopefully be that sherry finish um, because I am a, I'm a sher- sucker for sherry um, uh, finished whiskeys, um, specifically. Some of my favorite scotch whiskeys are, are secondary in, uh, in sherry cask. So, and for the new listeners, you heard that right, sherry, um, port, there's different kinds of aged barrels, um, or used barrels rather, that, that these distillers can play around with and age in, or they can age in a new oak barrel, meaning nothing else has been in the barrel, but a little bit of fire, um, depending on the char level. So, and there's episodes on that, so I won't go too far into that world, um, and nerd out. Um, back, let's backtrack a little bit, um, one of my favorite topics, and I think one of the nerdiest topics, and I mean nerdy in a, in a very loving way, is uh, I love the biology of, of making whiskey. And you brought up yeast and we uh, earlier about a yeast strain. Um, I've never made a sourdough and, or anything like that, so I've never cultivated or kept alive um, anything, really. I don't think I've kept any, maybe my kids, but that's more my wife. You've got a family. You've kept them alive. Well, my wife has helped. I have. Oh, oh, I, that's right. Dana. Dana helps yeah, out. Yeah, Dana. I, I haven't gotten away, I guess, is, <laughs> is the, is the I've, I have boys and I'm a dad. So I've done things in play that were, you know, you know may, may be dangerous uh, to a mother, um, but to a father, it's perfectly normal. So anyway, I haven't gotten the way of keeping things alive. Let's say that. But yeast is a very interesting, and I had a conversation years ago with uh, Patrick Heist um, from uh, Wilderness Trail, and his background is, is, is yeast and microbiology and, and things like that. The, the topic has always fascinated me. 
talk, can you can you explain to the to the listener what it means to you you have a yeast that came from a totally different distillery years and years ago how do you how do you still have that uh, explain that to the how how are you keeping that yeast quotation mark it's not the same yeast they don't have one pet yeast uh, that they that they breed with other yeast it doesn't work like that necessarily maybe it right. does but the but the the um, so the strains of yeast are are different depending on where they originally came from. Uh, you might have some in your beer that you could put in in make beer out of that. Um, oh. I've, I've heard that. Let's I, plug I'm that saying, for our future business. <laughs> put a pin in that. One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but but there are all sorts of stories about how different uh, brewers and distillers have kept yeast alive and have kept the same uh, strain. The, the Jim Beam story mm. is fascinating about how he scraped yeast off of a windowsill and put it in a container. And you just keep it alive by feeding it sugar. Sugar allows it, it consumes sugar, that allows it to multiply. So you mentioned sourdough bread, much as you would do with sourdough starter, all you have to do to keep that sourdough starter alive, and you can keep it alive for a really long time, is just keep giving it a little sugar every once in a while, letting it grow, taking some off, and those that original strain of yeast will continue to propagate. And it the, uh, the yeast is going to be different depending on where it originally came from, and different strains of yeast will cause different flavor characteristics to show up in a fermented or a distilled uh, product. The, the most, uh, so the yeast story that I've got, golly, that sounds weird, um, <laughs> has to do more with beer than it does to do with, with whiskey. But the same, the same concept applies. If you have ever had a really, really well-made Hefeweizen, and you have tasted hints of banana, very definitely banana, in that beer, which is mostly wheat. That banana flavor comes from the strain of yeast that is used in Hefeweizen. So a brewer who's going to be making an IPA is going to use one strain of yeast. When they're making a Hefeweizen, they're using a very particular strain of yeast that gives it those banana notes and that flavor into, into the wheat they use. And so the same thing applies with, with whiskeys. It's probably not as noticeable to most consumers, but I do know that if um, when, when we're finished uh, fermenting before we go into distillation, our mash tastes like an unhopped Belgian-style beer, and a lot of that is because of the particular strains of yeast that we use in our mash. Yeast is in the environment. It's all over the place. Some distilleries, as you know, they'll do open fermentation, and whatever comes in, comes in, and they're mm -hmm. happy with it. Other places will use closed fermentation. That's what we do to make sure that none of the local yeast, you know, you don't want Baltimore yeast getting in there. It's, <laughs> that's some pretty tough yeast. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> but they want to make sure that they maintain that that character of it. And if the yeast escapes into the environment, it can just find a place where it'll sit down and hide and it'll continue to grow and it can contaminate the other strains of yeast that are being used. So the containers are kept uh, sealed very carefully to make sure that nothing gets in, nothing gets out. And it really, really does contribute to the character of the, the final product. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, and as you start drinking whiskey more and more to the newcomers, um, you, you can start tasting notes that you you can associate with certain yeast strands. Um, yeah. I think my favorite way to really dig into yeast other than tasting tasting it before, you know, as it's fermented or continue or finished fermenting is right off the still. That new make, you do get a lot of those qualities, bready qualities that you, um, those flavor notes that you're hoping to hold on to or mix or blend. Yeast is just fascinating to me and you brought it up. So I, I definitely wanted to dive into that conversation. But um, um, it's, a, it's it's interesting to learn about the Hefeweizen with the bananas. Um, I like certain notes of banana in certain whiskeys and certain notes it doesn't work. I've, I've even heard that yep. bananas can be an off note, off flavor. Um, Jack Daniels to me has a very banana. I, I think a lot of people say that. Um, that's not a me thing. But I do like interesting off notes. I like funkiness. You know what I mean? I, again, that harkens back sure. to my scotch days. There's a lot of funk in scotch. So I do like interesting whiskeys. Um, I, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, and I know this is a tough question. You can t- you can cop out, and I won't I won't I won't hold it against you. You can you can give me the uh, the the very politically correct answer or not. Um, sure. Your choice. Um, do you have a favorite whiskey? And, and it can be old line, but do you have a fa- within the old line line? If you want to go that route, do you think you have one that you say they really? That's the one. Yeah, so I'll, so I'll answer that a couple of different ways. Um, my favorite style of whiskey is rye. I prefer rye whiskey to bourbon. I prefer rye whiskey to scotch. I prefer rye whiskey to American single malt whiskey. We keep bullet rye on the bar, the big bottle, mm. not the little one, because we both, both Kathy and I really like rye. We like Manhattans. So there's that. Um among my favorite rye whiskeys, I would include uh, Baltimore Spirits Company. They just make a 100% rye whiskey that is amazingly good. Uh, Sagamore is doing some really interesting things with different finishes down there. They make a great rye, whis- rye whiskey. Copper Fox rye whiskey is mm. probably my favorite rye whiskey i i dearly love it and what rick wasmond is doing with the way he malts his grains and the way he finishes his whiskeys just fantastic so copper fox rye whiskey is something that i always look for and i like to keep around out of the um the old line lineup probably the favorite thing that we've ever put up my favorite is our Armagnac finished American single malt. We don't have any more of it and I'm sad, but um, Armagnac is a a French brandy. It's made in the Armagnac region of France. It is 
Uh, Armagnac is made in 99 gallon toasted French oak barrels. Now we got our mitts on one of those used toasted French oak Armagnac barrels, 99 gallons. So it's a big old boy. Mm. We put our whiskey in it, uh, fully matured, put it in Armagnac, let it sit for over a year and a half. That's a long time to be finishing a whiskey, probably close to two years for that. And it was just fantastic. Um, and I'm hoping, so I haven't seen, I haven't seen another big boy around the warehouse. I'm hoping that we're going to make some more of that because that is just a really, really uh, complex finish, a lot of subtleties to it. Um, it's not an everyday drinker. Mm. It's the kind where you're going to sit down and you're going to sip it neat. You're going to really look for the different flavor notes that you get out of that. And, and I love it to death. Um, the Madeira finish. So, uh, top 100 on My Fred Minnick's list this year. Uh, we still have that on. Uh, that's probably number two. And uh, after that, it, it's really hard to pick your favorite child, right? So you, <laughs> I've got two, one I can't get anymore, one I can still get. And then, but everything that we do, everything we've done in our double oak lineup has turned out really good uh, and really different. And some of it has actually has been experimental. We did a saw turn finish mm. that we had no idea how that was going to turn out. We're currently sitting on a couple of barrels of orange wine. Um, and I'm not sure we know how that's going to turn out. Uh, orange wine, if, if you don't know, if your listeners don't know, I didn't know until I looked it up. Um, orange wine is a white wine that's made in Central Europe, primarily Hungary and Romania. When they make the white wine there, they leave the skins on during fermentation rather than taking them off. Mm. French wine, they take them off. Italian whites, they take them off. Leaving that skin on it gives the wine an orangish hue. And it also gives the wine some flavor notes that come from the must that is on the skin. And I've never seen orange wine. I got to find me about a bottle of it before we put this out because I, I need to know. Our barrel broker said, hey, I've got some orange wine barrels. Would you like a couple? And our, our owners have learned to trust the barrel broker. He's never steered us wrong. And we're sitting on some orange wine. It's going to be the, our double oak finish. It's going to be bottled at 100 proof. I'm, I'm sure it'll be delicious. Um, so the, the whole double oaking thing is... Um, in, in the business writ large, but, uh, you know, specifically for us has been something that has really helped grow our brand, has helped bring more people into, uh, to us and into some craft whiskeys as well. Yeah. Um, orange wine. I, I, I've never heard of, yeah. when you said it, I thought wine made from orange and oranges. And I thought, oh, you got a fruit wine going, but that, it, no, it's, uh, that's very, very interesting. It, it's, I'm told that it has a citrus note to it. Sure. So that would be it. It'll be really fun to see if that comes through into the final 
product that we bottle because uh, while our, our, our finished whiskeys have some fruit notes to them, they're usually in the um, apple, pear, mm-hmm. uh, stone fruit, berry kind of stuff, cherry, nectarine, plum, kind of in, in that world. I don't really pick up any citrus from anything that we do. I'm looking forward to seeing it in our orange wine. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, it, it's funny because I, I think all the time, have we run out of barrels, um, a different style of barrels? Um, and apparently no, because apparently there's cool stuff that keeps popping up. Um, yep. that's, 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 that's incredible. Thank you for being brave enough to say, what is your favorite whiskey or whiskeys? Um, sometimes people give me the, I can't pick one and oh. I, you know what? I really can't either. You hit the nail on the head. Can I pick my favorite child? It depends on my mood. I have emotional connections to, uh, to, to certain whiskeys. Uh, Dana brought, oh, you're going to take a picture. Dana brought actually a couple over. She was just doing a photo op. Um, I just want to talk about some of my favorite Dana's right here. Say hi. There she is. Uh, hi, Dana. There she is. There you are. Hey. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? You, you just brightened up the whole, uh, the whole <laughs> That's right. right. Right there. We miss you guys. We miss you too. Um, we're going to keep, uh, absolutely, we'll keep you guys posted on what's shaking up at Old Line. Um, I know Williamsburg is a is a schlep and a half, but um, we'll get some stuff to you when it when it comes out, when we've got some new and interesting things. And we'd love to have you come back of up course. and visit us again if we've got something new and interesting going on. Absolutely. Or, or, or it's or like I'm away from home. Yeah, well, we love having you guys in. I, one of the things that I, I didn't mention early on about how uh, how craft whiskeys uh, gain a following, okay? So uh, Old Line and every craft whiskey in the country, I'm sure, relies on folks like you who are willing to try other whiskeys and talk about them and help educate the consuming public and we also rely on whiskey clubs who will adopt us and will then come in and they'll do barrel picks and they'll talk about us and they'll get the word out around there i don't know a single craft distillery that does not have their own whiskey club we have our quarter deck whiskey club that people can join Mm -hmm. but there are other whiskey clubs in the area, the Philadelphia Spirits Society or Philadelphia Whiskey Society, mm-hmm. PWS. They like our stuff, and we can get our stuff into Pennsylvania with some help from them. Um, Old Line Scotch Club is a local Maryland one that has adopted our distillery, and they get the word out. So the fact that we have people like you who take the time and energy to try our stuff tell us what you think about it and then tell others what you think about it is really, really critical to the survival of uh, craft uh, distilleries. And you guys have just been fantastic to us. Even before I was one of us, you, you adopted as well before I did. Uh, well, when you love something, 
you know, you put you pour your heart into it. I like to think of the whiskey world and specifically craft as a uh, as a cult without any of the uh, poison Kool Aid. So you know, no yeah. no worries there at the end. Now that's a uh, you know I appreciate that, and we appreciate you and people like you, and that's why we do it. And that's why these groups, it's really something to rally behind. Um, and specifically, if you get involved with these with these distilleries like Old Line, you know the blood sweat and tears mm-hmm. um most of the tears come from mark i think he's a big crier um and yeah, people, I, I picture him in the fetal position a lot just you know crying for no reason and arch the sweat, the sweat comes from arch the tears come from mark there it is you got that there it is um but no it's definitely something worth rallying behind and you see how hard they how hard it is to to do this job and to keep it moving and the risk and all that stuff not just the gold in a bottle but really just how difficult it can be to get on top with so much saturation in the market yet somehow mm-hmm. you shine um we're wrapping up here soon but before we sure. did i wanted to kind of chat chat with you a little bit about one of the cool things that old line does that i love so much and that's the development program um i don't even know if i'm allowed to talk. i think i can talk about it. i've had these for a while so um i like how experimental and what i'm holding here this is the uh american double malt um the uh rough stock um yep really cool really good and my favorite you can tell because there's only a little left is the double cast series the port cask um which i adored i i love how the team are 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 interested in in being risky I don't know if frisky is the right word. Risky is the right word. Frisky. Definitely frisky. Um, but risky. Risky. risky um, and sharing these unique. And you brought it up a few times about trying unique and different things and different approaches to 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 serve to the community and to the whiskey enjoyers. And I I adore that. I, I, I don't mind people with, you know, their standard blends, their standard whiskeys. It's continuous. It goes out on the shelf. But sometimes these deep cuts, these small batch, these true small batch, I don't mean not picking on Buffalo Trace, but a real actual small batch. Um, I love that. And I love the experimentalness of it. And I love what can be created, win, lose, or draw. I just appreciate that. And I think that's something craft distilleries, I think that's something that Old Line just does very well. And um, I mean, orange, you know, orange wine, orange whiskey, wine. you know what I mean? Um, who would have yep. thought? Who would have thunk? So, no, I, I, I'm thankful for things like that. I love, and I think those things are good talking points and interesting, but they're just delicious. And, but they're fleeting too. That's the bummer. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, um, any cool stuff that's that you can talk about that's coming other than the uh, uh, the orange wine possibility? Sure. So we um, we will be releasing soon. We'll be releasing our our straight rye whiskey. So we made that in collaboration with Monument City. We're bottling that at one hundred two proof, fifty one percent. It's fifty one percent rye in the mash bill. I've tasted it. It's delicious. I'm glad we ran off another batch, so we'll have some uh, two years from now. We also have a uh, an American single malt, so our regular uh, mash bill, our regular yeast, and we put it directly into used barrels. Most of our used, um, 
our used barrels, I think. I think that's what we did. So more like scotch, we took new make and put it into a used barrel. And then we've got some uh, peated single malt that we put into new barrels. We've got some peated that we have put into used barrels. The new, the new barrel is going to be available sooner. Anything that you put into a used barrel is going to take a little bit of time. And the last one that we've got going probably is a collaboration with our friends down at Heavy Seas Brewing in uh, Halethorpe here on the west side of town. So we had sent them six of our used whiskey barrels. They made a fantastic uh, chocolate stout, finished it in our used whiskey barrels, released it on Nitro, St. Patrick's Day last year. We got some of those barrels back, put our whiskey in it, and now our whiskey, fully matured, finishing in barrels that had a delicious chocolate stout in it, and we're targeting St. Patrick's Day this year to release that That's cool. uh, stout finish American single malt whiskey. And again, these things aren't terribly risky, as you know. So yeah. sherry finish, not a risky proposition. It's uh, sherry casks were the original casks used to make scotch, probably. Yeah. Uh, a couple of distilleries are using uh, used beer barrels. I, I know that... Um, Jameson does it with their um, their Jameson stout. Mm. I think Lefitic does some. Ours is local, and that's the that's the joy of it is that it's a it's a local collaboration with some local guys. You can do some tie-ins. You get to know them. You have confidence, and um, it it's just going to be fantastic stuff when it comes out. Like, I can't wait to start tasting that and talking about that as well. Charlie, that's incredible, man. Um... Thank you. I could I could literally spend all day, hang, and I have spent the majority of a day <clears throat> hanging out at the distillery. So uh, this won't be our last conversation. I look forward to more, <clears throat> and I'd like to get the whole team on and just kind of make a maybe come down and we'll chit chat like we did in the past. But um, this has been a lot of fun, and um, I just want to thank you for you know taking that you know, interview, full suit interview and getting on board <laughs> because you have, you have most definitely been a light on that as a distillery and, um, you, you do a lot of good stuff and the, the, the knowledge, just the knowledge alone and your belief in what they're doing, um, it sells itself. So, uh, I look forward to more stuff coming out. I can't wait to visit it, There's always good stuff coming out of that distillery. If you're ever in Baltimore, um, listeners, it's, it's worth a trip to go to this distillery. You can get a, a some awesome swag. You can get, uh, obviously some great whiskey. I've had some very good cocktails, um, during the summertime and nicer weather. They have a cool little back area where they hang out and do events and stuff. Yeah. Um, it's always active. It's always fun. It's always alive. And, um, it smells great. Um, I mean, it does. yeah, it, it doesn't it. I mean, oh my God. Um, I, I could literally live there. It's my dream house, um, is to live in that distillery. Um, which I, again, I don't know. I think Mark might live in that distillery every time he's the only one there other than Charlie, other than you, Charlie, he's the only one ever there. Arch is always awesome. He's well, Jr. had distillery. Yeah, there. true, true. But yeah, give Jerry credit. He's the guy that he he built that still. Yeah, we got showed up in pieces. He's a uh, mechanical engineer. He built that still, 
and he's the guy that's doing all of the the real grunt work to make the stuff um, to make the stuff and to move the barrels around. And uh, you know, Jerry's just he's just fantastic. It's a great crew. It's a bunch of guys that I really love working with. Well, I, I my as my mother always said growing up, if you take a federal um, employee, two fighter pilots, and an engineer, and you put them together, something great will happen. You you've all there heard you that old saying. Um, so. <laughs> old as uh charlie thank you thank you for coming on the show um thank you for conversating with me um i learned something i learned a few things which is uh i love and that's why i do it hopefully the listeners did too um it you could probably find it on your shelves uh listeners um in your local whiskey store your your local liquor store um i believe you can order it online am i wrong yeah where can they up so oldlinespirits.com And uh, we've got a you know a third party shipper that will send it to most states. Um, not every not every state allows you to have whiskey shipped in, but um, that's that's a way that people can get it if they're not in the area. We're in Maryland, we're in D.C., we're in Delaware, we are in Connecticut, we are in Massachusetts, and we're trying to get out to. Chicago, and we've been in Denver. I'm not sure that we're still there, but we're trying to get our product out uh, to different places in the country. And I'll say something that Charlie can't say because he's doing the right thing. Um, there's also the Underground Whiskey Railroad. So if you if you need to go that route, I don't I don't need no comment because I know you don't want to touch Never on that. It. Never heard of it, but uh, you know, wink, wink, nod, nod. I haven't been shut down yet, and I say a lot of crazy things. Um, so, Charlie, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, my friend. Um, again, listeners, get your hands on some old line. Get down to Baltimore and visit. There's a lot of cool stuff there, specifically this distillery. Meet Charlie himself. Um, engage in that conversation. Learn about what you're drinking, and it just makes it taste better. And I truly, truly believe that. Charlie, thank you so much, my friend. Bobby, thank you very much for the time. Cheers. Cheers. Can't wait to see you in person. All right, my friend. And that's the show. Bye.